Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Anybody who knows anything about me knows I'm utterly obsessed with economic development in the city of Chicago. I spend most of my time in this podcast, or so much of my time in this podcast, talking about Donald John Trump and uh, how he's destroying our country. That's my humble opinion. Uh, but uh, it was so much of my reader career, so much of my career as a writer for the reader has delving, been delving into uh, issues of economic development and more to the point, how Chicago spends its relatively limited amount of discretionary investment dollars. Which neighborhoods are the favored neighborhoods? Uh, what neighborhoods get overlooked? And what's the impact that has on the uh, economic development situation in the city of Chicago? I thought it would be a great idea to bring on somebody else uh, who shares my passion for this subject. His name is Bruce Montgomery. Bruce Montgomery is the host of a talk show on WVON Radio, Rebuilding Black Chicago. He's the founder and CEO of the Entrepreneur's Success Program. He's a proud graduate of the University of Chicago Lab school and i mentioned that because for four years bruce montgomery was known as a ferocious basketball player on the university of chicago lab school he could have played for the bulls but he said you know what i'd rather have a career in economic development uh so he he said sorry bulls don't draft me actually bruce i just made that up i'm sure the bulls were not about to draft you welcome to my show bruce uh actually uh, uh one of the people i did play basketball uh, is the, was the son of one of the owners of the Bulls, uh, a, a Kovler family. And back then, uh, the Kovlers and others were part of the ownership team. And, you know, so we used to just walk in the Chicago Stadium and sit up in the rafters and crack jokes. There was nothing going on at that particular time in the 70s. Uh, you you know, you could walk into the Chicago Stadium and see a Bulls game anytime you wanted to. Uh, so it was, it was much later that they became the Bulls that we know and love today. I think that was back in the Van Leer era. Yes. And, uh, Bob Love and all that stuff. So a, a lot of good times at Chicago Stadium, a lot of good times uh, hanging around uh, the, the Midway and 59th Street and, and the Lab School. And, that's, and I'm a Hyde Parker today. So I've gone all around the city. I was born and raised on the west side uh, uh, on Washington Boulevard and uh, uh, Sacramento. Uh, went to Merillac House on West Jackson Street. Uh, then my family moved uh, south and I spent most of my uh, formative years in the Chatham community, and then I've had the pleasure of uh, living and working and uh, doing things all over this city, from Humboldt Park to Rogers Park to uh, any any neighborhood you name. So I I, I get around this town. Uh, I as a young man, I used to just get on the bus and ride and go to different neighborhoods and end up some places that didn't particularly know how I got there or why I got there. But um, it was a great experience, and I think Chicago. Is a great city for those of us who have enough nerve to get out and check it out. You know, uh, before we get into uh, the meat of the issues about economic development in Chicago, just that little uh, synopsis of your life as a young man growing up in Chicago, uh, the, the contrast between the west side of Chicago and the University of Chicago Lab School. Let's talk about that. Bruce, you've seen 
this this is actually is the substance of what we're going to get into the notion that Chicago is two cities within one, uh, that there's a rich part of Chicago, a well-to-do thriving part of Chicago and a struggling part of Chicago. What you just described, you had access and entree to this dichotomy way back when in the seventies, when you were a kid. Well, that's, that's, that's absolutely right. And I remember, you know, I used to, you know, what, what I remember growing up, my father was a businessman. He was the first, one of the first African-Americans to, to have, to be in the laundromat business. Later, he was one of the first African-Americans in the dry cleaning business. So we had a laundromat store on, on Madison street. Uh, and, and then later we had a, a, a dry cleaning business across the street, uh, still on Madison. And so I remember, you know, there was so much uh, livelihood on Madison and, and Roosevelt and going all the down, you know, to Pulaski and in those areas. And so, and of course, you know, Sears was, was thriving on the West side, home and square. You know, I remember my father taking me over to the old Sears building and ordering something in the front door and then going around the back door and it would come down some chute and you'd pick it up and put it in the car. And so, you know, the West Side was vibrant and it was alive. And then one by one, the company started to move away and, and, and race out of the out of the neighborhoods. And I never knew what that was about. And clearly, during the time of, um, you know, the, 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 the Dr. King aftermath and the riots and the decimation on, on those communities, uh, seeing those communities go up in flames and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and literally, you know, the disinvestment started prior to that and never returned. And still to this day, you can see entire vacant blocks uh, vacant on, on these great streets. And I remember when those streets were filled with businesses. So when you look at Inglewood and you look at uh, Lawndale and you look at Garfield Park, it's just a travesty. You know, Inglewood uh, was uh, an alternative to downtown Chicago. There was a time when Inglewood uh, was the second largest shopping district in the state of Illinois, second only to Michigan Avenue and State Street. And the original Sears retail store that created the model for what Sears went on to become was the Sears store that was right at the corner of where Kennedy King, now uh, the, the city college of Chicago, Kennedy King, is on the grounds of what used to be that Model A Sears store. And so Gold Blast, Wee Boats, Smokey Joe's, all the businesses that were along Halsey. These These are thriving retail areas. And it's an absolute shame that we're still sitting here. If you would have told me as a young man leaving, you know, the lab school when I did that, that, you know, some 30 years, 40 years later, that these communities would still be in ways worse off then I, I just never would have expected that. Yeah, that uh, uh, intersection that Bruce is referring to, 63rd and Halstead, uh, that's where the Kennedy King is now. Uh, Kennedy King was moved. You know, I know you know this, Bruce. I'm just telling yes. my uh, listeners. Yeah. Kennedy King used to be at 67th, uh, and they moved it. It was moved to 63rd, and now you have, uh, well, that, the city is putting its uh, fleet yard uh, at 67th and Wentworth, where uh, Kennedy King used to be. That, that's right. Uh, on both both sides of the street, there was a, a buildings on both sides of Wentworth from 67th to 69th, and then on both size was Kenny King and, and and that was such a vibrant school I remember the the president there uh, uh, during the I guess 80s and 90s was a guy Dr. Harold Pates and you know the thing about you know Chicago 
uh, at one time, Malcolm X College on the west side of Chicago had the largest enrollment of African-American students of any institution of higher learning in the United States, larger than any HBCU, Howard, Hampton, Morehouse. There, there, there was in excess of, uh, you know, almost 14,000 students were in and around uh, these these places were humming and buzzing and, and and all kind of excitement was going on at these institutions and to see these places just retrench and and the collapse of, of public education and the collapse of academic options and the collapse of employment options we we've seen unprecedented restriction and, and I think what hopefully we'll get in today is why. Why, why did, did a city turn its back on which was once the home of uh, the formative use of companies like Sears and Motorola and Zenith and Kraft and, and you know, you just uh, – um, Spiegel's and Alden's and all these companies that were based in the city and they all fled. And, and now it's interesting because just in the last two, three years – uh, they started to sneak back in, but they snuck in very quietly, kind of under the cover of darkness. You know, McDonald's is now uh, in the West Loop uh, in the area where Oprah Winfrey Studio used to be. You know, some of these guys have some downtown offices in the Merseyside Smart and some other places. But but it really has been not uh, 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 an inclusive activity. And then it's left the neighborhoods high and dry, especially the West and the South sides of Chicago. All right. Now, when you uh, think back at uh, all the history you've witnessed and you talk about, uh, the, you know, the Sears being in the West Side and then Goodwood being a thriving uh, business community back in the day. Uh, and you take it from the standpoint of where you are in 2020. Do you think there's something the powers that be in the city of Chicago, the political community, the civic community, and the corporate community could have done differently to prevent uh, this massive dislocation? Uh, absolutely. Uh, it's something that, that could have been done. You know, there, there was clearly white flight. There was clear, you know, um, Sears, of course, which started again on the west side of Chicago at the, at, during its heyday uh, when, when, you know, it, it was just, a, it was the largest corporation in the United States. Sears was bigger than GM. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so it was number one. And then when they built the Sears Tower, you know, that that was at the height of their powers. But a lot of people don't remember this. During right, right when they built the Sears Tower, they left. Yeah. They, they left the Sears Tower and went to Hoffman Estates. Mm -hmm. and, and you know, the the what the West Loop was a ghost town. There was no West Loop. The West Loop used to be Skid Row. Madison Street used to be Skid Row. When you, you know, so there was no whack West Wacker or or all these buildings along Wacker Drive. And so it's it is wonderful to see people living downtown and and there to be you know these mixed use developments and you see the beautiful skyline all throughout the river. Uh, but but it's been at the cost of a completely imbalanced situation. And of course, anybody downtown, uh, you know, last year, not this year, but last year, if you were downtown at five o'clock, you know, you would get run over by people trampling you heading to the trains to get, you know, to run to the hills, to go to Hillside and, 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 and Lake Zurich and, you know, <laughs> 
all the other places that the metro trains take people to. Uh, you know, so again, it was odd because all of that investment in downtown Chicago was not really for the city. It was for people that lived in all these other places and they come in on the train in the morning, do their thing and then skiaddle back out of town. And, and so all of that built up in downtown was was not really for the benefit of the neighborhoods of the city of Chicago. Yeah. Uh, that leads me to what's been on, what's on my mind. Uh, well, I think I told you this when we were talking before we went on the air. Uh, over the last weekend, I saw several articles and editorials uh, <laughs> in the newspapers talking about uh, how uh, the need to make sure that that marvelous development, and I'm paraphrasing the theme of the article, the marvelous development of the downtown area that has occurred over the last 30 years, they usually uh, start the starting point. They generally give all the credit. This is interesting to Baby Daily, Richard M. Daly, as opposed to Daddy Daly. Uh, all that marvelous development should not go for naught, and we should do whatever we can uh, to make sure that the loop does not go back to the bad old days. That's the theme of the stories, Bruce, that I've been reading, the editorial well, that I've been reading. Well, they're, they're, full of, they're full of garbage, and, and they're, they're, they don't know anything, and they really, unfortunately, don't understand business. When, when I think of a, a truly great businessman in the history of Chicago is a guy named Julius Rosenwald. And Julius Rosenwald was the CEO that made Sears what it was today. And he's the guy that took Sears from being, you know, the catalog in the mail order company, and you could buy a bride or buy a garage out of the Sears catalog somewhere in Nebraska. He's the one that turned him into the retail giant. He designed that original store that was in in uh, Inglewood, and of course, that spawned a whole new era of growth. And guess what? Those Sears stores were in every neighborhood in the city of Chicago. Uh, Four Corners. Uh, there was one on 79th Street in, in Grand Cross. They were all over the place. And then, of course, they they created what we have come to know is the malls. And of course, that that was signaling the demise of because they instead of this being this walkable neighborhood store that you could walk to ride a bike to drive and park and get your car fixed and go shop and buy popcorn get some insurance whatever you wanted to do so that was a great man now these characters today don't have a clue because you cannot have a downtown separate from the rest of the city and leave 80% of the population. This, this income disparity, this economic disparity, this lack of investment. And we've seen the data that come out to say one of the biggest travesties in the history of Chicago's economic is, is fundamentally redlining, you know, restricted covenants. Uh, there was a time when African-Americans who came up from the South to look for opportunities, like my, my father came from Arkansas. He came from a family of, of agriculture and, of course, you know, everything else that was going on in the South. But after the war, there was this boom of people wanting to find a better life for themselves and their families. And they were coming to cities like Detroit and Milwaukee and Chicago. And Chicago, of course, was the shining light on the hill. This was the great migration. And people were coming up here to, to work and find opportunity. And, and, and they found it. And they were able to create solid middle class uh, lives and, and work in, in public and private sector and sending their kids to school and, and, and creating a whole new middle class. But at the same time that was going on, they were inhibited from moving outside of treacherous conditions, uh, overcrowding, uh, you know, tenements, slum landlords, uh, kitchenette chopped up apartments where, you know, five and six families were living on one floor that should have just been 
in a two-bedroom, a three-bedroom apartment. So there was some horrid, you know, Chicago has a terrible history of background, and then it tries to act like none of this happened. And that people just were always left to their own devices. Nothing could be further from the truth. And so to go back to that and say, yeah, you know, we got to rebuild this downtown, you know, and, and be clueless to the kind, you know, there's some stories that just come out about how the mortgage lending on the part of the big banks, you know, the, the JP Morgans and all these other guys was eight to one. You know what it was able. You know you were able to get a, a loan on the north side or you know West Loop. If you tried to get that same loan in South Shore or Chatham or you know you, you couldn't get it. And so we're still living under the the, the disparities of systemic racism playing out in the redlining of financial resources and opportunities. And yet you're still talking the same bootstrap crap about why haven't these communities come back online? Because they've been gasping for air with the air being cut off by uh, benign policymakers that really have a myopic sense uh, of what fairness and equity is really all about. Bruce Montgomery, that was one hell of a riff. I was I was sitting here. You can't see me because my computer's old, doesn't have a camera. But I'm sitting here nodding my head. Go, man, go. I, I'm with you 100%. I mean, if you go way back, and you talk, uh, starting with old man Daly, Richard uh, J. Daly, he was afraid to confront what you're talking about, the white fear that white people had about black people. Black and, people you know, that's so neighbor. sad. It's so ahead. sad because my father – my father, who who started that business on the west side of Chicago, his best friend and his really chief business ally, and all he did was a a white Jewish attorney who who lived in I think Glencoe, and he was a funny little guy. I don't think he was five feet tall, and and my father trusted him with everything. In fact, my father passed away when I was just ten years old. And 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 he swore to my father that he would take care of my mother and me. And of course, he did. He protected our our financial assets. He protected our business. He made sure I didn't get to touch a dime until I was 21 or something. And and really, I'm here today because of what that white Jewish attorney did and uh, in, in his commitment to my father and protect. And so the, my point I'm making is that, you know, I remember him being in my father's business, the, you know, the. The, the interactivity amongst multiracial groups, uh, uh, Spanish people, uh, you know, white Jewish people, German people, you know, Lithuanians, P- people got along and did business and relied on each other. And there were go to people in different aspects that you needed in a business, insurance, and plumbing and, you know, construction and all that kind of stuff. And so I think the, the pitting the fear against uh, uh, groups and then Chicago falling back into is this 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 activity where too many people in too many neighborhoods have never been out of those uh, confines of those neighborhoods? They don't know anything about different neighborhoods. You know, um, it's, I, I I tell a story all the time. Uh, sometimes people like yourself that come from other places, you see immediately what Chicago's problem is. Yeah. Chicagoans don't know anything about Chicago. You say, you know, guys from Rogers Park, you say, hey, man, you ever been to uh, South Shore? Guy said, where is that? <laughs> you know, what? Yeah. How long? I'm born here. You've been born and you live here all your life and you've never been to South Side Chicago? No, never been to South I don't want to go. Why would you want to go over there? The West Side. Well, I don't know anything about the West Side. I ain't going over there. And so there's these myths. And and unfortunately, we've, we've drank the, the, the bad Kool-Aid to believe that they're not intelligent, smart, creative, innovative, uh, entrepreneurial. And so what I do right now is everything I can do to help 
anybody who would be foolish enough <laughs> to want to start a business in Chicago with all of the challenges uh, of taxes and everything else it takes to start a business in Chicago. I want to see them be successful. And I just w- want innovation and creativity to return uh, to these communities. And a lot of that has to do with freeing up resources in a balanced, you know, we throw around this word equity. We got all these fancy sayings, you know, social impact, social engagement. You know, we need fairness and equity and diversity and inclusion, blah, 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 blah. You know, people need money. (laughs) They need money and they need honest integrity to people to do business with. And you just can't cut the air off of circulation of people and expect them to make it without the resources necessary. All right. And uh, I'm with you 100 percent. Uh, unfortunately, I'm, now everything I'm talking about is pre-pandemic. Mm-hmm. The uh, pandemic has f- pretty much frozen so much uh, in Chicago. But uh, the last significant economic development program that the city signed on to, there were two, two massive publicly financed projects in gentrifying neighborhoods, Lincoln Yards and the 78. And Bruce, this runs counter to everything you just said. The city is pouring billions, billions with a B of public dollars into these development deals that exist in gentrifying areas, areas that are already flourishing. And so that's money. If you just think of it as an economic development pie, you can only you only have so much of a pie. And they're giving it over to neighborhoods that don't need it. So well, one one of the biggest so. letdowns was, and I think this was a unfortunately uh, har- harbinger of things to come. But you know, the the Lincoln Yards project was being resisted tooth and nail by advocates and residents and a lot of people that just saw the inequities of everything that was going down. And then, kind of the last waning days of the Emanuel administration and the pre-dawn hours before, uh, you know, the new mayor was even inaugurated, you know, the deal was cut. And so now we, now, like you said, the pandemic has come along and has called everybody's bluff. Okay. Um, you know, the, we, we've seen this before because it, you know, they were trying to do a deal out at the old steel mill and there was all these, deals are going to happen. But then the economy came along and said, okay, how much money do you really have to do these deals? And of course, the the old steel mill uh, still is a blank uh, piece of land. It's nothing going on with it. But the guys were able to pull off that money for a related Midwest with uh, the 78 project. They were able to get that money. Now, uh, uh, you know, it, it is it is imbalanced. And, and so, so then now the mayor who who agreed for that to go on and continue uh, even all the resistance had shown the inequities of this came back and said okay i'm going to make things right um i'm going to come up with this program called invest southwest uh, the city's going to find 750 million dollars that we're going to spread on the south and the west side of chicago and we're try to rebuild these thriving corridors just today i was on a phone call uh, one of the maybe success stories of recent years is something called the Neighborhood Opportunity Fund, which uh, was an NOF grant, which was supposed to, again, fund the um, the development of retail corridor-oriented businesses in some of the most challenged corridors. And it's really been, you know, s- successful. Uh, you know, I, I have friends that have businesses 
um, you know, uh, uh, in Bronzeville and uh, on 75th Street in Chatham that, that have been fortunate enough to receive some of the Neighborhood Opportunity Fund. It is not easy getting anything out of the city. Uh, you know, you have to have a team of lawyers. You have to almost have the money and don't need it in order to be able to actually get it because you've got to have so many things in place. And the mayor said she was going to, you know, Mayor Lightfoot said that was wrong. And maybe we need to figure out how to not have it be a reimbursement. Uh, you can't call a grant a reimburse uh, that has to be all paid up front. You, you got you, that means you got to have the money and don't need it in order to get it back at the end of the project. She said she wanted to change that. I don't know if that's going to happen. I'm hopefully it is. And so really, Ben, what's needed is for, you know, what you're doing to really happen seven days a week, three times a day. And that is to say, is anybody out here thinking? And if they're thinking, what are they doing that really they think is going to have an impact? Because otherwise, you know, all the terror, you know, nobody likes looting. Nobody uh, promotes, um, you know, people vandalizing and, and, and doing things that are unlawful. But like Dr. Ting, King said, you know, riots don't just happen. They happen because the oppressed have to let off steam some kind of way. And so you can see, you know, so in other words, we cannot go back to what has not worked and has marginalized communities and have put people up against the wall and think going back to that is a solution. No, we've got to create some honest equity. And that we that that means that we need some people like a, a Julius Rosenwald type person who could think not only for his own benefit, but by expanding the pie for everybody, he expands the pie for himself, his shareholders, stakeholders, and people that are looking for a return on investment. Well, it's a, uh, I, it's a little gloomy to think that our role model is somebody who hasn't been around for over a century. Uh, and I would like to think uh, Julius Rosenwald has not been with us since uh, the early part of uh, the last century. Uh, I... I'm listening to you and I'm taking notes and I'm nodding in agreement. Uh, and I, I agree with you that things have been frozen by the pandemic. We don't know how it's going to break. But as I was telling you in the pre-show, I'm seeing the telltale signs and the powers that be in this town are signaling uh, by putting that concentration on the downtown, by saying we have to take care of our downtown, by talking about uh, the fact that uh, many businesses are um, now operating out of their employees are operating out of the homes. So you don't have the people coming to the loop. There's a concern. And so I already have a sense that uh, presumably when this pandemic's over one way or the other, probably with the vaccination uh, vaccine, we're going to pour more money into the downtown. And that's 750 million that supposedly been set aside for Southwest will be a fraction of the billions that gets uh, dedicated to the downtown. Well, well, uh, uh, well, Ben, it comes down to one thing. Uh, it really comes down to leadership. And, and we seem to be hard pressed in the city of Chicago, the state of Illinois to find real leadership. Uh, we've, we, we, um, you, you know, uh, the, 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 the city council, uh, Cook County, We've got a lot of seats of power. You know, it's, it's said that Illinois has more 
legislative entities and creations than the next five states combined. You know, we've got all these different boards and how people can get into these situations. And some of these situations is what put Illinois behind the, 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 the game in the first place because people go to work for a school board so they can get a pension or they go to work somewhere. You know, and these people, you hear, hear, heard the stories over the years, guys work three jobs at three different city places and gets five pensions. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, and then who's supposed to pay for all of this, you know, with annual cost of living increases for the next 50 years. So we're, we're under the brunt of these onerous uh, pension obligations, which have sucked all of the money out of the state and city coffers, uh, but but who's willing to stand up and be tough? I, I kind of, you know, you have to admire um, the uh, Mayor Lightfoot in the in the in the great grit that she has shown. No mayor in the history of Chicago has come into their first year in office and faced a. a, 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 a pandemic, you know, uh, an economic tsunami, uh, you know, uh, the, all of the challenges that she's faced. The fact that she's even still standing is, is a miracle almost by itself. But hey, that's the job you signed up for. You know, there's been some quietness, though, with as much, uh, you know, as much spotlight as she's had to endure. Where are our leaders where leaders from what every every area, you know, we had we had people like Jamal Cole that have organically risen out of the community and has taken, you know, the mantle of change on his back and has done some things almost by pure will. But hell, we, we've got folks that are, you know, uh, Ken Griffin and all of those guys that just, you know, with millions and billions. What what kind of table are they setting? You know, a perfect example of this, and you and I again talked about this in our last conversation. So everything that's happening in this new industry in Illinois and cannabis favors a small segment of people. You know, so they they had the they had medical cannabis all to themselves for two or three, four years, didn't work out as economically as they would like. So they convinced the governor, hey, give us recreation. And so we need to we need to pay our shareholders back. So he gave them recreational cannabis. Now they've had no competition for the first, you know, eight months. They're rolling in dough. They're, you know, doing everything they want to do. There's no diversity whatsoever. So, you know, there's no, no, no color involved, no women involved. It's all a bunch of guys and they're all having the time of their life. But when it comes to social equity, what happens? Accounting firm, a KPMG can't count. You know, they, they can't even add things up. And then the people who come out with 38 chances to win are the same people who are already in the game with the big guys. Give yeah. me a damn break. And then people are sitting around like, oh, my, what happened? What happened is your ass got lobbied into the same thing we always get lobbied into is the people who can afford to hire guys so they, they don't pay no taxes. The people who can afford to hire the governor and lobby him until he gives them every bill they want end up with all the goods. And then where do they run to? They, they won't even answer the press. They're out in, you know, uh, Lake in the Hills and Lake Villa and Lake Zurich and <laughs> Lake Forest and every other damn lake. You can't find them with the FBI. But why aren't they actually leading and creating inclusive equity? They got enough money to create participation. You know, uh, it, it's, 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 so again, there is a lack of moral integrity to recognize you cannot have this tale of two cities 
this completely have and have nots and the pendulum swinging more to disparity, more to, you know, there's some people that, you know, their lifestyle hasn't suffered at all during the pandemic. You know, they, they haven't really lost anything. And, and then when the school children were sent home and had to now this, what, but what we're seeing is a whole scale breakdown of all of the safety nets in health and education and economics. They've all broken down. And of course, we're facing, you know, uh, this this uh, coming up in November. Does America really want to progress or are we are we willing to still have a hoodlum running yeah. the country and someone who says, well, I don't really believe in science. I don't really believe in diversity. I don't really believe in equity. And those nice people in white, they're not so bad. Mm. What do you, you know, and nobody in, in the private sector is willing to say, wait a minute, man, you need to go somewhere and sit down. We need to take control of what, really need balance in this country and why can even you know places like new zealand that has 100 to 1 percent of the wealth we have not have any uh impact of COVID to speak of in the entire country wow that was another great riff bruce i was uh, nodding my head along for uh, <laughs> almost all of you said we could get into a debate on the pension issue but i'm going to put that aside for the moment i just want to point out something that you a part of the two riffs that you did one of uh, the social equity we've talked about that on my show many many times you're absolutely correct i cannot say this enough i will say this over and over until i'm blue in the face the uh the people who hit the hardest by the war drugs are the ones who are getting the least from the end of the war on drugs. The people who should get the most from the war on drugs uh, by the ending the war on drugs are the people who are, are getting the most. And it's so unfair. We should have seen it coming. It is a debacle that a quote unquote socially equity application process could be played. And that's what it was, Bruce. They played it. Okay, yeah. they played it. And there, it's so obvious to me in the retrospect, like, why do you allow these companies to apply so many times? Duh, the mo- companies with the most money are going to get the most slots. It's well, just, just- well, again, the, we, we have the best uh, set of laws that can be lobbied for. And, and so when, when, when uh, groups that are on the outside looking in that don't have the capacity, you know, again, here we're sitting here and – uh, the the public, you you know, you talk about oligarchs and you talk about monopolies and you got a regulated monopoly where I don't care who you are. If you're in northern Illinois, your, you know, power is going to come from where it comes from. And so, you know, those guys with all of the power of a regulated monopoly still were intent on gaming the system for even more. And so if you agree to a $250 million fine or settlement or slap on the wrist, first of all, you have it to pay, you know? So where did that $250 million come from that you have to pay for bad or less than credible behavior? And everyone knows where it came from. Everyone knows how it got there. But again, we have this, Emperor has no clothes environment where people just refuse to call it like it is. And so is is the issue of being 
uh, empathetic and truthful and uh, having some integrity too hard to bear? I don't think so. And I think what's needed is there's a lot of pressure on our politicians and they deserve all the pressure because they wanted these jobs. So they should take everything that comes with it, the good, bad and indifferent. But I also would like to see and I believe that there are you know, folks like yourself that have nobody's paying you to do this show. Nobody's paying you to stay up late at night and read through the things you read through to try to understand the intricacies and the, the, the chicanery of TIF models and TIF financing. But you do it because you say, first of all, I'm capable of doing it. I can think about it. I can make my own decisions whether it makes sense or not. And if it doesn't make any sense, I'm not going to sit around and act like it does. <laughs> well, if you can do that, yeah. what the hell can our elected you, your elected officials talk about? I didn't read the damn bill. You know, give me a damn break. What do you mean you didn't read the bill? You didn't know <laughs> that somebody could apply 38 times? You yeah. know, what the hell is going on? And and we're, we're too, but again, I think that there is a call right now for intergenerational leadership. And, and we, we need to quit pitting uh, different groups against one another and try to find some common ground. And I think so when it comes to, if we really care about health outcomes, if we really care about economic outcomes, we really need to make, um, so right now with this breakdown of public education, I believe that this is actually a blessing in disguise. One, the, the, Most of my adult life I've spent in the technology industry. I've been involved from mainframes to personal computers, from uh, modems to the cloud. And this is what I've done for you know 30 plus years of my adult life. And all while I've been involved in that area, there's been this notion of uh, the digital inequities, digital divide, whatever you want to call it. And <laughs> under the so in the last 10 years just like we're you know during, during obama's time people were tossing around this thing about post-racial society oh really <laughs> okay all right now that so then you know that they were talking about well there is no digital divide you know uh, everybody in every neighborhood has a smartphone and you know i, I saw somebody on the l yesterday with an iphone <laughs> okay but, but now when you have to file for unemployment, when you have to have uh, telemedicine, when you have to, you know, uh, uh, you know, have online learning and, and none of this works. The Chicago Public Schools is not prepared for what's going on right now. Not not just Chicago Public Schools. Hell, University of Chicago is not prepared for what's going on right now. And so this is a uh, this is an, a, 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 you know, just such a major cataclysmic opportunity for us to really look at equity in the face and say, you know, here's something we need to do. And that's where people need some support to push our leaders out into front and say, how can we make life today more beneficial for more people, not more exclusive for fewer people? All right. Well, I'm going to close by uh, drawing on two names that you mentioned. <laughs> Uh, 
Julius Rosenwald, who again, I get, it's depressing. You have to go back uh, to the early part of the 20th century to find a role model. But Ken Griffin, uh, the wealthiest man in the state of Illinois, you mentioned him in passing, uh, just came out in the newspaper. He's uh, ponying up $20 million, <laughs> $20 million to fund I- the propaganda pa- campaign against the fair tax. And folks, this goes against absolutely everything that Bruce Montgomery has been talking about for the last 35 or 40 minutes. The fair tax would be a way of raising the rates on the highest earners in the state of Illinois so we can make the investment that Bruce is talking about that is needed. And this man is willing to spend $20 million to defeat it so he won't have to pay more in taxes. And Bruce, I don't know how you could say that we have a good, strong social fabric where the (laughs) well-to-do, like the Julius Rosenwalls of today, are looking out for the not well-to-do. If this guy is willing to spend $20 million to pay less in taxes. Well, that that is quite uh, remarkable and sad. Um, We can say that, you know, perhaps other billionaires like... um, you know, the governor and uh, other folks are on the other side of this line. So, you know, unfortunately, we're about to enter a time of uh, scattershot uh, ads, you know, that are going to pepper the airwaves and is really going to numb people from the kind of discourse that you the reason you and I could have this conversation today, because obviously we've thought about this before we jumped on this call today. And that's really what's necessary is for people to do some soul searching, some thinking and to really try to. And, and here's a here's a Ben, just like I mentioned, Jamal Cole, leaders come in all shapes and sizes. They come in all from all communities. And, and we've got to start celebrating the ingenious diversity that exists in this city. There's stuff that we can learn from Little Village. There's stuff that we can learn from Back of the Yards. There's stuff that we can learn from Rogers Park. You know, one of the one place that I love as, as a person who teaches business and entrepreneurship and works with startup businesses, I tell all my entrepreneurs in different sides of town, you need to go up to Andersonville. You need to go up in Andersonville and see what a vibrant small business strip looks like on Clark Street. And people go up there and they're like, their heads are spinning. They're like, I never said, yeah, because your lazy ass don't get out and see what's actually going on in this city. Why does 79th Street look like Clark Street? You know, why doesn't these other communities? I said, I don't care what the hell the damn DPD is talking about. I want the Andersonville Chamber of Commerce to run an economic development program for the rest of the damn city of Chicago and say, this is how we did it. This is how everybody could do it. That's what I'm talking about. But Chicagoans are too damn lazy, too damn caught up in these confined communities in their own little cubby holes and say, oh, I live in Mount Greenwood. I don't have to go anywhere. That's your damn problem. You need to get the hell out of Chatham and Inglewood and Mount Greenwood and go up to Andersonville and see what successful small business actually looks like and then come back and say, damn, why doesn't Cesar Turn Halstead look like this? And I need to do something about it and I need to hold my leaders accountable until it does. Man, that is a good uh, riff to end it. Uh, Bruce Montgomery, you are the real deal. Uh, well, Richard Steele, he is the real deal. He was on the show last week. Sorry, Richard. Richard Steele is still the real deal. That's the, but yes, Bruce he Montgomery, yes, that, was, you know, that was a great riff. Uh, and uh, tell folks, if they want to hear more riffs like it, uh, how they can find you uh, on your WVON talk show. 
Yes, uh, I, I'm fortunate. Uh, Melody Span Cooper, uh, the president and CEO of WVON uh, Midway Broadcasting, uh, AM 1690. Uh, she came up with the idea after the, the George Floyd uh, unrest and, and, and the travesty of what was going on in not only downtown Chicago, but in many neighborhoods and many cities around. She said, hey, we got to talk about how do we rebuild? How do we put the pieces back together and put them back better than they were before? Because I, one thing I know you believe and I believe, too, there's no going back to normal. Whatever we thought normal was, first of all, normal wasn't working if it if it created you know these imbalances and these inequities. So we've got to go forward together. And she she came up with the idea of this show, rebuilding Black Chicago. And so every Friday from three p.m. to six p.m., uh, I'm on the air with my co-host Ted London, Attorney Ted London, and we're interviewing people that uh, have made business success in Chicago and tend to stick here aren't going anywhere, want to keep their operations up and going. And we're also identifying resources that they can access, uh, financial resources, uh, 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 other kinds of technical assistance. Because again, what we need is to get a return on our tax paying investment. And like you mentioned, the fair tax uh, you know, we can't have education all tied up in property taxes. Mm-hmm. That is fundamentally not fair. And according to all the capitalist literature that has ever existed in the history of capitalism, the only mechanism on policy that we have to create a more fair and equitable system is um, you know, the marginal tax rates and things to get the rich who can pay more. They're not going to leave. They can afford the money. If Ken Griffin can pay $20 million to do advertising, he can certainly pay whatever the tax increase is that's going to be. So we need to have a fair tax to really start to get some of the equity we need. And we need some leaders to stand up and call it like it is, just like you're doing today. I appreciate being on the show with you today. And anytime you want me to be back, I'll be glad to come back and riff some more. All right, we'll probably bring you back in a month and we'll probably talk a little Milton Friedman, you mentioned capitalism. He's on my mind. There was just this uh, long essay in the New York Times. It's been the 50th year anniversary of the the article that Milton Friedman wrote where he said uh, he opined that the only thing uh, corporations have to worry about uh, is their profit. Uh, And it's an interesting, uh, very narrow view. I read read the article and, and I'm so glad that we're finally getting the rationale to realize Milton Friedman was smart but he was not the only game. (laughs) There we go. That's a good place to leave it as a tease for the next conversation. Bruce Montgomery, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. All right. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.